I want to begin with one very simple but incredibly clear statement from Scripture. It's from a passage of Scripture we'll look at in more detail in a moment, but here's, a, here's one sentence. Here's one sentence. I just want you to think about it for a moment as we begin. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a remarkable statement? I just want to say it one more time. I want you to think about it. We'll talk a whole lot more about it, but here's what it says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a whole lot in that one statement, a whole lot that it says, a whole lot that it, that it doesn't say, a whole lot of things that we tend to believe that aren't actually true on the basis of that statement. That's where we're going to hang our hats this morning, that through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. I'm going to ask God that by His Spirit and by His Word, that reality would be good news to you this morning. In fact, it would be the best news. And that when we leave here, um, <clears throat> you'd rejoice that you have peace with God. And because of uh, having peace with God, the, the, the extension of that, by the way, is that we're actually able to have peace with, with one another, too. Well, that's good news, too. But let's pray together as we begin this morning the study of His Word. Peace with you, Father, because of Jesus, justified by faith. And the result of our faith in Jesus is that we have, is that we have peace with you. I pray you'd help us understand what that means, why that is gloriously good news, why without Jesus, it's not possible to have peace with you. And really, without Jesus, it's not possible to have peace with one another it's not really even possible to have peace just within our own selves with ourselves so give us grace as we study your word um, that we'd understand what jesus has done and how that's resulted in peace with you i pray in his name amen well we're going to be in isaiah 9 that's sort of been uh, our key text for this month of study we're looking at these names that is given to Jesus 700 years before the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. The Bible had given him these descriptions. He's wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. And then we end with our study this morning. He's the prince of peace. Now, I don't know if you've heard or not. There's a little low-budget independent movie that was just released called Star Wars. I don't know if you've are aware of this film, have seen any advertisements of it at all. Uh, I want to do a little, uh, a little uh, crowd survey. Who's here this morning that's never seen the first minute of any Star Wars movie? Who's here? Wow. That, I'm nervous now. That's like everybody here. All right. Well, let's just, let's just see who's seen, not, in, not counting the movie that just came out this weekend, who's seen all the other movies? Who's seen all the other movies? All right, so it's about, I don't know, this is very unscientific. It's about half and half. Who's seen the movie that just was released? All right, so, all right, don't, don't tell anybody about it. I don't want to know, but I haven't seen it, seen it yet. But if you've seen the movies, the very first movie I ever went to as a, as a little boy, so when I was five years old, I went to see Return of the Jedi. I don't even think I was five years old. I don't remember much about it other than I thought it was awesome, lightsabers, Galactic battle, explosions, X-Wing fighter, awesome, right? 
And, and the movie, Return of the Jedi, now I will do a spoiler because you've had 30 years to see this one. That, that movie ends with this glorious celebration, right? The dark side, the emperor's been defeated. There was still good left in Darth Vader and he turned back and rescued his son and they defeated the emperor and they blew up the Death Star and now they're celebrating with the Ewoks and the fireworks are going off and you just leave the theater, ah, yes, peace. But apparently, but apparently, that peace and that galaxy far, far away a long time ago, it didn't last. Either the peace didn't last or Disney figured out there might be some money left in making another one. So we'll come out with a new movie. And the peace didn't last. And the peace didn't last in the galaxy. And I know it's pretend. I actually know that. In a galaxy far, far away. Well, that peace didn't last there. It doesn't feel like peace lasts here Whatever generation you're born into, uh, however many years you live, you, you, you feel like there's, there's, you open up the newspaper, there's not peace. There's not peace in the world, and yet Christ is proclaimed to be the Prince of Peace. As a matter of fact, it says here in Isaiah 9, verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. It's perplexing to us because it feels like there's been no beginning. How can there be no end when it doesn't feel like there's been peace? On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And we've been saying for a number of weeks now that Isaiah 9 in verse 6 provides for us Sort of the full picture of God. There are four names given there. We've referred to as a as a as a picture frame, or maybe you look up at the screen and you see the four sides there. Uh, that He's all of these things. But as I've been thinking over these verses and and praying over this, I think there is a certain a certain order to these to these names given. That He's the wonderful Counselor. He's able to first off accurately diagnose our problems. And our primary problem is, is sin. Our primary issue is not something out there. It's actually something in here. He's a wonderful counselor. He's able to put his finger on the issue. That shouldn't surprise us. He created us. He knows us. He knows us backwards and forwards. He's a counselor. But, but he's not just a counselor. He's also a mighty God. Isn't that good news? He's not able to just diagnose a problem and then say, well, there's your problem. He's able to do something about it. And those many, uh, a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the mighty God, his, his mightiest act, if you will, appears on the surface to be an act of weakness, to be crucified on a cross, to, to, to seemingly be this victim of, uh, of, of the actions of men. But what we realize is that it was a mighty work. He said, no, 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 nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. This is love, not that we first loved him, but he loved us. Greater love has no man than this, that that someone would lay his life down for his friends. What a mighty act the Lord Jesus has done. But not only is he mighty and powerful and omnipotent, he's also an everlasting father. He welcomes us into his family. He's he's mighty, but he's he's also nearby. He's also accessible. And then the, the last descriptive term, the, the, this last name we get, is that he is the Prince of Peace. There's a passage of Scripture that, that I want you to turn to. It's in the New Testament book of Romans and the fifth chapter. <clears throat> I want us to look at uh, the first five verses or so in some detail this morning because it's here, I think, that the Bible 
most uh, clearly teaches us what this Prince of Peace has done and what it means in your, in your life. So here's what Romans 5 uh, says. We've got a uh, scripture memory group that meets uh, twice a month here at Calvary. I'd love for you to be a part of it if you'd want to. And, and we're memorizing Romans chapter 5. So this is a chapter I've been thinking about. And it's always um, a blessing to me to see how God brings certain things together that we've been talking about Isaiah 9-6 here on Sunday mornings. And then over here, been memorizing Romans 5. And it says this, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's we already talked about. That's good news, right? And that would be awesome if it just said that, but it continues. Through him we have also obtained access into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And here's where it takes a turn that we wouldn't expect. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. That seems like a strange statement to make, doesn't it? Rejoicing in our sufferings. But here's why. Knowing that suffering produces endurance... And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, or maybe your translation says, hope does not put us to shame. Here's why, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's take a few moments to walk through what the Apostle Paul says here in Romans chapter 5. Now, before we dive in, what would be the opposite of having peace with God? What's the opposite of having peace with somebody? Obviously having hostility with someone, right? To, to, and, and hopefully not, but perhaps somebody in your life, you don't have peace with them, right? And if the two of you come into the same room, it can be awkward or it can be hostile or uh, one of two things, either there's outright antagonism or there's this sort of cold shoulder and we're not going to interact with one another, right? That's hostility, Sometimes it can happen in your family. Sometimes it can happen with some friends or neighbors or whatever. That, the Bible teaches us that we were at once enemies of God. It actually teaches that in Romans 5. It teaches us that's when Jesus died for us, is when we were his enemies. That's verse 6 we'll get to in a moment. But the scripture is teaching us that there's a way that you can walk into the room and God doesn't walk out. There, there's a way that you can have a relationship with him that, that he's accessible, that, that he's knowable, that he desires. And, and the important point for us is that he initiated that kind of relationship in Jesus Christ. So if you've got an outline and want to follow along in that manner, the first thing we'll look at is the effects, the effects of peace with God. We have peace with God. So let's look at it. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Prince of Peace, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, the first effect of peace, peace with God is the immediate effect of of justification. I know that sounds kind of like a churchy sort of, that's what a preacher ought to say. What does that mean? Peace with God is the immediate effect of justification. What we mean is that when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you immediately have peace with God. Is this how you view your relationship with God, by the way? If you're a believer, now every, every last syllable is important in this text. Therefore, since we've been justified by what? Help me out. You read it. You've been justified by faith. We have peace with God, period. No, that's not what it says. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's some specificity to this, right? 
The means to have peace with God is through Jesus Christ. Now, we're in Romans 5. That means that there was Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4 that had come before this. That's why it starts in Romans 5, 1 with that word, therefore. He's saying in light of everything we've talked about in the first four chapters, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have peace with God. When? Right now. Right now. Now, it's a lie of the enemy, if you're a believer, to make you think that you don't have peace with God. That he doesn't want to hear you. That he doesn't want to be near you. Now, there was enmity between us and God. But in Christ now, there is forgiveness. Now, peace, peace with God is only possible through Jesus Christ. So peace with God is the immediate effect of justification. And then secondly, access to God is the continuing effect of justification. Through him we've also obtained access. Now what if I told you tomorrow morning you could get up and you could have a private breakfast with Coach K. Some of you would find that appealing. Some of you would find that nauseating, right? Now, balance it out. What if I told you you get up in the morning and you could have breakfast with Roy, Coach Roy Williams? Or the director of Star Wars. All right, we won't get on that again. But The Queen of England. That would be, you know, stressful. You don't know what to wear. You got somebody you just love. I just would love it. just love to be able to sit down and have access to. Now, did you hear what the Bible said? What if I told you you could have access to God? But that's what the Bible just said, friends. And something about this, we've heard it and we know it, but we're not really getting it, I don't know. I I think in my own life I'm not getting this. That I have access to the King of Kings. Have access to God Himself, the Creator of all the universe. We've got access to them. So why is it? Why is it? If we have this kind of access, we can go days and days and days without pursuing him. Do you have someone you'd love to meet? <laughs> if you're a follower of Jesus, you have access to the living God. When Jesus Christ was being crucified on the cross, you, you might remember this in Luke it, it talks about this, that the, the, the veil of the temple curtain was torn in two. Do you remember that? It's a huge curtain. It was, it was as high as these ceilings in here, higher. And it says it was torn from top to bottom, which means who did the tearing? God tore it, right? God tore the temple curtain. Why did God tear the temple curtain? When Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished. The temple curtain's torn in two. What's he saying? You have access to me have access to me the sacrifice has been made Uh, everything that's necessary for us to to, for, for for God to be accessible to us has been completed in Christ Jesus turn with me to Ephesians if you're in Romans you want to flip over you'll you'll go by first and second Corinthians Galatians and then you'll get to Ephesians and look with me in chapter three now Paul wrote Ephesians Paul also wrote Romans so it's the same author uh, Romans chapter, I'm sorry, Ephesians, I should say chapter 2. Look what it says here in verse 13. I always do this. Let's start with verse 12. <laughs> Remember 
that you were at that time. He's talking to believers. He's talking about them before their conversion to Christ. Remember, at that time, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What's he saying? You had no access, right? You had no access to him. Verse 13, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself a new man in place of the two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. For through him we both have, look at the word, access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You have access to him. Now, can I ask a rather pointed question? Is is access to God still precious to you? Is it still still, uh, uh, valuable to you that you have access to God? How did we get the access? Verse 2, what are the first two words? Through Him, through Jesus We've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So access to God is the continuing effect of justification. And and then one more thing under this first heading is glory to God is the ultimate result of justification. So we've got access and then he says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So this is pretty simple. There's something past, there's something present, there's something future. Past, if you're a believer now, if you're a believer in Jesus, you've got peace with God. That started the immediate moment that you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and were justified by faith. You've got peace with God. And now, by the way, peace defines your relationship with God forever, right? There's never going to be a time where you don't have peace with God if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, that was two weeks ago's message on him, everlasting father. Salvation is not something that you can lose, something that that can be forfeited. It's something that was purchased by Jesus on the cross on your behalf. He is a high priest forever. Amen. So you've got peace with God and now you've got access to him. But now there is something that we're waiting for. There is something that's future. We're hoping for the glory of God. This is a reference that he's talking primarily about heaven. Are you looking forward to heaven? You're looking forward to being there? You think much about heaven? I I think in, in our day, for whatever reason, the church has lost sight of where we're going. We've forgotten that, that we're not citizens here. And we want to be effective. We want to be lights. We want to be witnesses. But we're on our way somewhere. We've got an end res- destination in mind. And it's not here. It's, it's there. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I think the more you mature in your faith, the more you will long for heaven. Rejoice. In the hope, now we've got to, got to define that word because hope in our present 
setting, we use the word hope as something that might happen. That's not how the New Testament uses the word hope. Hope is full assurance of what's to come. In the New Testament, the word hope is full confidence of what is to come. So Paul's saying, I know I'm on my way to heaven. Peace, grace, glory. These are the words the Bible uses to define the Christian life. So that's the, that's the effects of peace with God. The Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus has come. The increase of his government shall cease. And, and the peace shall not cease. Let's talk about, secondly, for a few moments, the pathway, the pathway, if you will, of peace with God. Let's go over the next few verses. But I'm going to give you the main idea in this subject heading. Peace with God does not result in peace with the world or for us in the world. Does that make sense? We got peace with God, but now he says here, uh, more than that, we rejoice in our, what's your Bible say? Sufferings. Philipsis. Philipsis is the Greek word. It's kind of fun to say. It's not fun to endure sufferings. Kind of fun to say. Philipsis. What is philipsis? It refers to the tribulations from pursuing a godly life in a world that's hostile to God and his gospel. Say, can you think of anybody in the Bible who endured philipsis as they pursued God? All right, Paul's a great example. He he knows what he's talking about in this scripture. He rejoices in his sufferings, the hardships. They're taking the gospel into these uh, cities and they are hostile to him that uh, on occasion would leave him half dead, as he said, stoning him. I don't, uh, do I need to take the jacket off? Uh-oh, we're getting serious now. I don't really know if this is going to do anything with the uh, microphone rattling. We'll see. Well, that was terrible. Don't let Julie see that. It's, it's going to get all wrinkled up. Philipsis endured uh, joseph endures suffering right genesis story of joseph unfair treatment potiphar's wife false accusations left in prison forgotten about by his friends his own brothers betray him they tell his dad they he was murdered by an animal right philipsis moses trying to lead a people out and all they can do is complain esther trying to live a godly life under a wicked government Jeremiah, Paul, uh, instead of asking, can we think of anybody who lives a righteous life unto the Lord and faces Philipsis, the better question is, is there anybody in the scripture who seeks to live a righteous life and doesn't face Philipsis, sufferings, tribulations? Can you think of anybody? Anybody who set their heart to follow the Lord and said, I'm going to follow him. And then their life was smooth and easy. And it was always 68 degrees. And there was always a light breeze. And all their relationships were good. And their family was well behaved. And they just sort of kind of coasted on to the heaven. Through many persecutions must we enter the kingdom. In this world you will have trouble. Jesus in the Beatitudes, how does it end? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are you when others revile you and utter all sorts of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here's a holy, H-O-L-Y, irony. Peace with God often brings persecution from the world and the more righteous the person the more severe the persecution culminating in the most righteous person of all was jesus who endured the most 
persecution. So it's helpful to ask a question, which are we pursuing this morning? Peace with God or approval from the world, right? Which one are we pursuing? If you're a young person in high school, which one do you pursue? Peace with God, approval from the world. And it's not just high school students. It's all, which, because, because, we'll call the spade the spade, it's not going to be possible to pursue both. You'll find it impossible. Now, it doesn't mean that we look for persecution from the world, but it does mean that we're willing to, here's our next word, endure persecution. Stage one on your outline. Suffering produces endurance. I think one of our helps when facing suffering. Anybody got any suffering in their life right now? Now, this word again, thalipsis, specifically refers to the tribulations that come from living a righteous life in an unrighteous world. That they're not pointless. They're producing something. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So stage one, suffering produces endurance. A suffering produces endurance uh, much the same way as antibodies are produced in the human body by infection, right? The, the very thing that they fight are produced by the thing that they're fighting, if that makes sense, right? Uh, if you're going to, you know, oftentimes at New Year, we get this goal of getting in shape. If you're going to get in shape, you have to, you know, if you want these big bulging biceps, unlike what I've got, you have to think of somebody else. You have to have resistance, right? The resistance increases the strength. You gain endurance by suffering. Stage two is endurance produces character. Character in this text is the quality of someone who's been put to the test and comes through it. Now, what's being tested? What's being tested? Where did we start? Put it in context. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith. What is suffering testing? You got the real thing or you got the pretend thing? You got real faith or you got counterfeit faith? You got you, got, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or your grandparents did and you just kind of talk about it. You know what I'm saying? What reveals the authenticity of True saving faith. Suffering does. Suffering does. That's what he's saying. Does Paul demonstrate genuine saving faith? Yes. When does he demonstrate it? In the midst of suffering. That's what he's saying. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. The clearest indicator of whether your faith is authentic or not is how you handle the sufferings in this life. When you are put to the test, do you still have joy? That's what he's saying. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering reveals if we're really pursuing the Lord or not. Do you still pursue the Lord? Like Job did, for example. Job endures tremendous suffering. Here's the whole theme of Job. Does a man trust God because everything goes right in his life? Or will a man trust God even when things, everything falls apart? Job's character is put, put to the test. Well, we still call it the, the patience. What we really mean is that word, the endurance of Job. 
Um, by the way, it's helpful for us to have these tests on this side of eternity, isn't it? We don't want the only test to come after the life's over and then we reveal, oh, wait, it wasn't the real thing, right? So here's, here's we don't think of suffering this way, but suffering is actually a blessing if we understand that its intention is to reveal whether or not we're truly got saving faith. You know what I'm saying? And then, and then stage three, character produces hope. You know the fascinating thing about suffering is? Suffering reveals what it is we're actually hoping in. Did you know that? Suffering reveals what your hope's actually in. What's your hope in? Money? Health? My job? My family? Suffering comes along and it, and it reveals what we really hope in. You, you know the great blessing of suffering? Suffering teaches us to rejoice in the right things. That's what suffering actually does. Suffering liberates us from false hopes. And it's actually helpful to have a loving father who allows suffering into your life if the goal of it is to reveal the authenticity of your faith or not. Because here's something suffering can't take away. It can't take away your peace with God. It can take away your health. It can take away your, your very life here on earth. It's going to happen to Paul. I mean, imagine, think of all the suffering that Paul's endured. Physical suffering, threats, stress, pressure, putting people first and they don't appreciate it. I mean, he's been through it all. But is Paul a man of joy? Absolutely he is. Because his joy is rooted in Christ. That leads us to the third and, and, and final point for this morning is the assurance of peace with God. The assurance of peace with God. Uh, first, first point is, is that uh, hope in God will not disappoint. Hope in God will not disappoint. That's what he says. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame. Or maybe your translation says hope does not disappoint. Have you ever been, ever been disappointed? I mean like deeply disappointed. How does disappointment come? I think, the, I think the simplest answer to this is disappointment comes when it's revealed what we hoped for was not a legitimate hope. Does that make sense? All sorts of people have all sorts of hopes that cannot be defined this way, that they will not disappoint. And so the most hurt and devastated people I've met in my life and the deepest disappointments in my own life were because I hoped in something that wasn't assured. Some people have hoped in a relationship, man, and they put every, everything into it. And then it proves that it wasn't assured i was thinking this this past week that when i was uh, 11 years old i absolutely loved the san francisco 49ers i know it's strange but back then they had this quarterback named joe montana and i if you wanted to say who could you have met for breakfast if you get up it would have been him when i was age 11 i just thought that he was the greatest and i still think he's the best quarterback but we won't have that discussion right now 
And the silly thing was, I don't know if it still works this way in middle school, but back then, all the guys were sort of identified by what team they cheered for, right? And for a couple of years there, I think the reason I became a 49ers fan is because they were doing quite well, my friends. I mean, they beat the Denver Broncos by 45 points in the Super Bowl, and I said, that's my team, right? I'll, I'll cheer for them. I won't be disappointed, right? And so uh, that Christmas, I won't name the store, but their catalog came. Remember when you got catalogs? Do they still do catalogs? I don't know. I think they do email or text. I don't know what they do now. But you'd get these Christmas wish lists. Do you remember these? Wish book. I might have just given away the store. But, but they would send it in the mail, and we'd get it. And I was going through that thing, and I was flipping the pages. And there on one of these pages, y'all, was the most beautiful San Francisco 49er jacket I had ever seen. It, it had their logo on the front and on the back. It said, Team of the Decade. Talking about they were the team of the 1980s, all right? I mean, if you're going to be a team of a decade, that's a great decade to be the team of. Glorious period of history called the 80s, right? And, and Christmas was coming up, but then I was confronted with a harsh reality. In order to get this jacket, I, I'd, have to, um, I'd have to face this uh, thing called my father. And this was not a practical gift. I had jackets already, and my dad was all about practicality and parachutes should be good for, you know, at least six years. And your jacket, you know, I don't, jacket's up to here. Well, when it gets to your elbows, we'll get into it. I just knew, I just knew this, this is going to be a hurdle that's going to be hard to overcome. So I started to, to do the strategy of, you know, wow, I really like this jacket and I mean, at that point, mom was on board. That was all, but I still needed, still needed dad's approval. So I started giving hints and so on and so forth. And, 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 and I got the resistance, I thought, you know, you already got a jacket and you've already got a 49er t-shirt. I just kept at it. Persevere, right? <laughs> My dad picked me up from school one day, uh, Benvenue Middle School. And we rode over to this store, and we walked in up to the count, uh, uh, service counter. What do you call it? Customer service. And uh, he, he gave them a ticket, said, I'm here for a package, right? And I don't know what's going on, right? And, and he hands me the package. He says, here, son, I tear that thing open. And you know what's in the package? It's this 49ers jacket. But it doesn't look anything like <laughs> the picture in the catalog picture in the catalog it made it look like this durable kind of almost like a leather jacket right and I pull out this coat from this package and the packaging falls to the floor and I'm left looking at uh it just wasn't what I had expected (laughs) and now I'm in this moment y'all have you ever been here where my dad has done this incredibly unexpected It's like Ralphie with the BB gun moment, only if Ralphie got a water pistol that didn't work. That's sort of sort of what's going on here. And and so I've got this look on my face. I'm glad there's no picture where my dad's like, all right, got it for you, son. Aren't you thrilled? And I'm like, I don't think I can ever put this jacket on. It doesn't. It was a huge disappointment. Ever happened in your life? Uh. I tell you, the world, the flesh, and the devil are amazing 
in their market research. They're amazing in their advertisement. And they'll make things seem like, oh, if you could just have this. If, they would ju- if you just have this relationship, if you just got that promotion, if you just had that car, if you just were able to move to that city, if you are able to get that degree, if you were able to, and I'm not saying any of those things necessarily bad, but I will tell you this, you can put your hope in things that will put you to shame. And hope, what? What hope? See, see, if you follow along in the text, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Here's what I'd like to say. There has never been a time, ever been a time, when a man or a woman put their hope in God that in the long run they were disappointed. It has never, ever, ever happened. Let's go back to the philipsis. Did Joseph have philipsis? Yes. Question. Today, right now, is Joseph disappointed? Absolutely not. Joseph's like, this is amazing. It's better than I ever thought. Moses, Esther, Ruth, Jeremiah, Paul, Peter, Mary. Go down the list. But on the flip side, friends, there have been thousands and millions, and I don't know what number to put on it, that put their hope in something other than God, and they are greatly Greatly disappointed. Next point on the outline is the gift of the Holy Spirit assures believers. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I'll go on and give you these two points at once. The gift of the Holy Spirit assures believers, and then the love of God never ceases. Now, um, y'all just hang with me because doctrine matters, and scripture study matters, and the knowledge of God's word matters. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, um, Just hang with me. we got some verb tenses going on that you need to know about because it has a lot to do with your faith and your life. So, uh, Holy Spirit, who has been given to us, is uh, what we call an aorist participle. What does that mean? Just Okay, it means this. There's something that happened one time in the past. All right? What, What was the one time in the past thing that happened? The Holy Spirit was given to you. This is backed up by Ephesians chapter 1. When you heard the gospel of your salvation and believed it, by faith, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our possession. What's our possession? The eternal life that's to come until we, until we acquire possession of it. It's what the scripture teaches us. When you believe, when you have peace with God, his first gift to you is the Holy Spirit who comes to reside in you. That happens one time. But then we have God's love has been poured into our hearts. That is a perfect tense verb. I know that blesses you to know, great, Perfect tense verb, what does that mean? Perfect tense verb means there's something that happened in the past that has ongoing results in the present moment. Perfect tense. Glory to God. Perfect tense verb. His love has been poured out into our hearts. What does that mean? It means the love of God never ceases. That's what it means. That's why I put that on the outline. That's what it means because that's what it means. Love of God never ceases. Let's write that down on the outline. The love of God never ceases. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts. 
Meaning that it, there, there was a moment that it began, but it never stopped. It's like a spring. In fact, Jesus uses this. He's the, he says, I'm the living water. Whoever believes in me, it'll be like a spring that wells up into eternal life. Now, another question real fast. Is, is the love of God, the love that God has for you in Christ Jesus, is it present in your life right now? Right now. So let's put, put two things together. Because one thing that sometimes, doesn't have to, but sometimes interrupts the flow of God's love in our life is, what do you think? Suffering, hardship, disappointment, philipsis, right? Abraham lived it. Thought the son was coming. He promised the son was coming. He's not here. What's the worst mistake Abraham ever made? Trying to fulfill his, the promise on his own. I think Joseph sat in prison saying, what's going on? Disappointment. But now, but now, as believers in Jesus, the Holy Spirit's come. Let me just jot these thoughts down. At Bethlehem, God shows that he's with us. At Calvary, God shows that he's for us. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, God says, I'll be in you. And the last point, and it's important, is all of this, all of this is through Jesus. All of this is through Jesus. You know what he's saying over and over? Therefore, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through Jesus. More than that, we have access into this grace in which we stand through Jesus. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, uh, concluding point. Have I said that five times yet? My goal is every sermon, five times say that I'm wrapping up. Here's, here's the amazing thing. And this is where Paul goes in Romans 5. When did God do all of this? When did God set all this in motion? Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, one may dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ, Christ, Christ died for us. Died for who? Died for his own enemies. Why? To bring us to God. Why? To break down the dividing wall of hostility. Why? To pay the debt in full. Why? So the temple curtain could be torn in two. So you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. He is a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. He is an everlasting father. He is a prince of peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're able to say the zeal of the Lord in Christ has done this. It's done this. Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Are, 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 you seeking, are you seeking peace with God or approval of the world? 
You seek approval of the world. It's only a matter of time. Whether in this life or in the life to come, that it will prove terribly disappointing. Terribly disappointing. But as you endure suffering, and that suffering liberates you from all these other lesser false hopes, and you produce endurance, and that endurance proves your character, that you've got faith, it's a real thing, you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and you'll stand before Him, and there won't be a moment of ounce, a teeny tiny little bit of disappointment. In fact, the very opposite would be true. No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Would you stand with me? We'll pray together. I guess it was the jacket, you right? What? We're going to have a time of invitation. If you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never put, in, put, put your faith in Him, it means you've never been justified. Peace with God is only possible through Jesus Christ. And what we proclaim to you this morning is that Christ has come. He's paid your debt if you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll stand right here at the front to receive anybody. I want to publicly declare, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to become a Christian and be saved by God's grace in Christ Jesus. If you'll bow your heads with me, perhaps this morning you are a follower of Jesus. You've believed on Him. But the access that you have to God through Christ Jesus, for whatever reason. Maybe it's sin, maybe it's suffering. Maybe it's the thalipsis of the world. Your access to Him has, has, your your, uh, joy in your access has waned or diminished. Would you take this time of invitation to, to seek the Lord? He is accessible to you. You don't have to walk through a temple curtain. You don't have to make a sacrifice. He's an everlasting Father. He's approachable. He's defined His relationship with you if you're a believer by the term, by his, his peace terms. Maybe this morning you just, either where you are, or you may come to the front, kneel and pray, and ask God, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? It's not possible to lose your salvation, it is possible to lose the joy of your salvation. However, maybe you just this morning say, I don't want my joy to be restored. Maybe the Holy Spirit would bring conviction that you're seeking the approval of the world more than peace with God. Father, we open this invitation in your name. We pray that the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, the love of God that's been poured out among us, would lead this invitation. Father, make things right. Restore what needs to be restored. Heal what needs to be healed. Bring salvation to those who've never truly believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And help the call of salvation to be what it is. Urgent, necessary, clear. That we have peace with God only through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not another way to gain access to you. There's not other grace to stand in. It's only through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for him. We ask that he's exalted during the invitation and that the Holy Spirit leads our time in Jesus' name. Amen.